Welcome to Propinquity Press, where we bring people together with the hope that that experience changes the world. We hope you enjoy this selection by author William Spangler Dunning. An Introduction to My World This world is something I had to learn to accept, but my home, on the other hand, was given graciously to me. B.S.D. When I turned eight years old, I remember looking around at my family and whispering to my best friend, I have a new theory of why I am who I am. I believe that I was placed in this family by Martians as a secret ambassador to help them. When I look back on those days, I'm not sure if I should have been concerned about my belief that I was from another planet or the fact that my best friend seemed to think it was completely plausible of an idea. To this day, I'm not sure if he meant it as a commentary on my family or on his experience with the different kind of human being I was as his friend. Either way, it was my first attempt to figure out who I was and why I was going to be okay in this life. The House on Holt Street When I reflect back, to the first time I remember waking up in this world, or at least the first time I became permanently aware that my story on Earth was beginning, I was sitting cross-legged on a cold wooden floor of our house on Holt Street. Looking through my childhood eyes, I see blurry images of people scurrying around with a sense of impending excitement. I rub my eyes in an attempt to remove the film of what seemed to be a long-induced sleep and scrape away the crusty particles from the inside corners of my tear ducts, particles that I can only imagine must have been stardust. As I blink, the images in my mind gain clarity, and I see my family standing around the new arrival to the household. At first, I'm a little confused and jealous because it occurs to me that they are not circling up to welcome me, but it is my baby brother who is getting all their attention. This is the way I think most of us come into this world. Confused, disoriented, and with a deep need to figure out who we are by deciphering the people and places that surround us at those early, crucial moments of life. For me, it all began on the day my parents brought home their last-born child from the hospital and placed him before my eyes. And this all took place in the small living room of my first earth home located at 818 East Holt Street in the town I was later to learn was called Ottumwa, Iowa. One of the first Martian powers I tried to use was the ability to live inside the minds of others. However, every time I tried to see through the eyes of my neighbors to understand the world in which they were experiencing, my own thoughts got in the way. And what I Saul looked a lot like the inside of my own house. What an amazing skill it would be to live for a few moments inside another person, to understand just a little of what made them who they were. With this simple but profound gift of transportation of one's consciousness into another person's body, wars could be eliminated, racism overcome, Poverty eradicated, marriages saved, and divisions of every kind among human beings could be removed from the earth forever. However, at that moment in my life, I was just hoping a quick look inside the lives of my neighbors 
would bring a deeper understanding of the oddities happening inside my own house. I would sit on the front steps of my childhood home with a piece of chalk and draw spaceships and planets like any normal child my age would do. Well, normal may not be the exact word to use for my deep obsession with extraterrestrial objects, but our front steps were often covered with my drawings of faraway planets and the many versions of flying vehicles that would allow me to travel those vast distances to Mars and beyond. With the sound of my neighbor's door opening and closing, I would lift up my head and stare at them intensely with the fully benevolent purpose of learning how they saw the world. This would allow me to better relate and care for them, I thought. This might well have been the first signs of my call to ministry, but the results were less than optimistic. Most times, those same neighbors would turn catch the glint of my eyes, staring at them, and not perceive it as the benevolence I had intended, but as the gaze of a creepy, slightly off this planet, not quite right neighborhood child. I probably made it worse because as they attempted to duck quickly back into their house or into their car to get away, I always took this as a sign that my powers were actually working and therefore intensified my stare. It is obvious to me now that I was still learning to be a human child. Unable to determine the inner motivations of my neighbors or the reasons for their daily routines, I was forced to face the irregular nature of the activities taking place inside the walls of my own house. The house I remember continued to change throughout my childhood. The configuration of the walls seemed to evolve with the family as children were added or moved away. Doors and closets came and went, and bedrooms became living rooms or utility rooms were pressed back into service as a sleeping area when one of my older siblings moved back into the house for an undetermined amount of time. I can see pictures of the house in all of these different phases of my life. With the amount of changes made to that house over my lifetime, it seems just as accurate to say that my family moved into a new house every few years even though we lived at the same address, 818 East Holt, for 18 years of my earth years. It was only later in my life that I began to fully appreciate just how much a house can influence the person we become. It was just a house like many others in our neighborhood, and from the outside, the walls looked similar to every house in our social class. Each had a roof, a couple of entry doors, a kitchen, and a feature of most small houses built in the 1950s, one basic bathroom for the whole family. One curious and troubling issue with the prevailing floor plan of these times was that in order to save space, there were no hallways. The worst part about not having hallways was that the bathroom was always located off one of the bedrooms, making that bedroom the default bathroom hallway. In our house, my first bedroom was the default hallway. Every member of the family, as well as every guest in our house, would trample through my bedroom for showers and other activities that prevented any sense of privacy for me. To be completely transparent, it also made it a bit awkward for the many bathroom goers who could not help but be aware that I was sitting on my bed inches from their private bathroom moments. More than once in my childhood, 
long before I learned the human art of lying to be nice, the smells and grunts coming through the paper-thin bathroom door would compel me to externally rate the experience using a numbered scale from 1 to 10. I would shout as they exited the bathroom, Four! Or, Whoa! That was a nine. There was nothing scientific about how I determined what number to give to each bathroom episode, but anything above a seven would make my eyes water. For some of my family, they could hit nines after most evening meals. There were lots of things about our house that were broken, misshapen, slightly out of date, misplaced, poorly designed, and hodgepodge together to make do for what we needed it to be. Because nothing was too sacred to change, remove, or otherwise contort into something new as needed, the house evolved over the years to fit our particular needs. I don't know if it got better or worse, but I know as I remember it, it was always perfectly imperfect for the moment. It is true that our environment during those critical developmental years will inform who we are. But it seems to me now, as I reflect back on my time on Holt Street, that that house became a reflection of who we were as well. In my lifetime, I have now visited many houses that have been influenced by differing social classes, cultures, countries, geographic contexts, as well as the homeowners' personalities. Each house seemed to reflect beautifully the priorities and values of the people who made those walls their home. Though I never fully mastered the Martian power of transporting my mind into another's, I did learn to observe the kind of walls, friends, or other things a person might choose to have in their environment. It was not a superpower, but the skill of observation quickly became one of the most sacred human behaviors I was to acquire during my time with my adopted Earth family. As much as anyone could look at the rough characteristics of our little house and know that my family rarely used emotional makeup to cover our flaws, scars, or imperfections, I too began to notice the freshly shampooed carpets and neatly refinished baseboards present in the homes and lives of others. These traits helped me to gain glimpses, if not deeply revealing pictures, of who they were as well. Among many other things, I learned that all human beings are on a long pilgrimage to be okay in this life. And their houses become like after-images of what had happened in their journey. Like the picture frames scattered around a house, as tangible memory markers of times gone by, the subtle scars of past remodelings in my childhood home pointed toward the unique and peculiar way my family influenced the development of our house. Those Picture frame moments in which those many changes represented may help the reader, and perhaps this author too, better understand how a young Martian boy became the kind of human I did. Though I no longer have the privilege to walk through the house on Holt Street, as other people live inside its walls now, and influence its future identity, I still see in my mind those changes as signposts from the past. They hover gently over the other significant memories of my childhood and seek to remind me of the ways each phase of that house helped me be okay. My memory is a little clouded around all the specifics of those younger years within the walls of that house, 
This is likely because when we are younger, our imagination still allows us to bend reality to fit our needs and desires. We are still able to imagine into existence things that are not yet, rather than simply live only in the present with what is right before us. This ability to alter time and space can have the side effect of preventing most memories from fully imprinting into our memory cells. Still, in the misty haze of memories that almost were, I vividly recall three moments that both shifted the foundations of our house and helped me to better understand humans in general, if not at least the ones I called my family. The first one involved a wall becoming a window. The second one, a floor became a door. And perhaps most significant to those early years of my childhood was the time when that public bathroom hallway morphed into a secret bookcase passageway. It seemed to me then that during my first few years on this earth, anything I thought of, dreamed of, or asked for, my parents would do whatever it took to get it, make it, or provide it for me. For years, believing I was really from Mars, I struggled with why those who sent me on this journey to Earth chose to place me in this particular family. My Earth family did not have extra resources to support one more child, and what they did have was not designed to accommodate even the number of residents already living inside that house on Holt Street. However, those concerns all occurred before the night when my father installed my very own bookcase door. With that simple act, I gained a love for reading, a new appreciation for privacy, and a room that now seemed miles from our overly smelly bathroom. My father was not a finished carpenter by any measure of greatness. He often made things out of the odd parts and pieces laying around. So all his creations looked different from how others in the world would have made them. He had a gift for finding a way to use what he had available rather than simply not building something. He never allowed the fact that he could not afford the standard part to make it look like the commercially constructed version of what he was building to get in the way of actually building it. When he built the walls to separate our bathroom from my bedroom, he did not have sufficient money to afford enough two-by-fours for the project. So he imagined a two-by-two wall and cut the boards in half. He made the bookshelf from a few boards from a packing crate he found in a dumpster at his workplace. The hinges for the door came from an old barn that he had torn down the year before, and the wheels to help it open smoothly came from a cart he sacrificed for the project. With a few sheets of paneling to complete the walls and the back of the bookcase door, I had my very own secret passageway. From the beginning of my first memories on Earth, it has always been my mother who carried me in her arms, provided for my nourishment, and protected me from most things that could bring me harm. I was raised almost exclusively by my mother because my father spent most of his time working as a mechanic and bottling specialist at the local Coca-Cola plant. My parents, having been married in 1950s, succumbed to the social convention of the time whereby the father worked a job outside the home that provided for the family's financial income, and my mother took care of managing the household. By default, I grew up mostly learning how to be a human child through the tutelage of my mother. 
By observing my mother over those first few years in that house, I understood the dynamic partnership between two human beings who sincerely loved each other. I also learned that if I ever wanted anything, I should always express my desires to my mother. For though it was always my father who built or physically altered our house into new configurations, it was always my mother who approved or rejected the changes. So when my father spent all weekend making the bookcase door for me, I knew that my mother had likely set in motion the whole act of making that bookshelf. It was also my mother who convinced my father to drive miles out into the country to obtain a piano from an old farmhouse that had caught fire. The piano, too, had been scorched in the blaze, but Mom was convinced that it could be fixed by my father. With a few family friends and an old pickup truck, they brought it back to the house on Holt Street, sanded most of the burnt wood off, and invited the neighbor to come over and tune it. Incidentally, that neighbor was the mother of my best friend, who once told me how reasonable it seemed for me to be from Mars. So when I opened the bookcase door for the first time and peered inside, I was also greeted by a newly refurbished piano at the end of my bed. I remember being panicked in the moment because this was one wish I had never said out loud to anyone, and specifically, I know I never mentioned my dream to learn to play piano to my mother. In that moment, I realized that in my attempt to use my Martian power of reading the thoughts of others, I must have reversed the beam and inserted my thoughts into my mother's mind. For weeks, I stayed in my room behind the bookcase door playing my piano so as to avoid any additional thought transfers. The bookcase door incident was not the first time that walls had been added or removed in that house. I had come along late in the family birth order, being the fifth of six children in the household. Though the memory predated my own time on earth, my siblings had always talked about a door that used to be on the back wall of my room. Over many months of tapping my finger down the length of the wall, I had determined through rudimentary echolocation that there was a rectangular-shaped hollow space right where my siblings had suggested it would be. They had whispered these stories to me like they were some dark family secret and even hinted that the doorway had once led into the now-forgotten private bedroom of my oldest brother. His name was Raymond, and he had disappeared into the United States Navy some years before I became aware of life on Earth. Apparently, after he moved out, my parents not only closed off the now-hidden door of my room, but took out another wall on the backside of the house to enlarge the utility room so that they could finally move the washer and dryer out of the kitchen. This is where my memories from that time in my life get a little jumbly and seem to mix forward and backwards in time. I don't really remember anything perfectly until that first moment when my baby brother was placed before my eyes. I was four when he came home from the hospital, so my partial memory of that washer and dryer sitting next to our kitchen stove seems out of sequence, as I am just as sure that my parents moved them into the back room just after my third birthday. I know this because I have a picture of that 1970s vintage yellow dryer that sits somewhere in my mind, but when I try to bring it into focus, it fades in and out of clarity and jiggles back and forth like an old-time movie. The dryer, in particular, may well be responsible for the blurriness of this memory. In my excitement to blow out the candles on my birthday cake, 
which was sitting on the kitchen table. I ran through the house, tripped over one of my freshly opened presents, and impacted my chin on the edge of that dryer. The event left a small dent in the dryer and gave me my first set of stitches. It also made my parents realize that my eyes were still adjusting to Earth's atmosphere, and so the very next day, they took me to get my first set of eyeglasses. My parents' pattern of removing a wall to make a room bigger was something I was to witness many times. As one after another, my older siblings moved away to start their own family or to build their own homes in faraway parts of the world. Walls would be destroyed and new space created. With each change to the house and my changing tenure in the family, my bedroom became the space most recently vacated by my older brother Jimmy. When I was in junior high, my brother Jimmy began living at the local campground with some of his friends, and therefore I was moved into the most privileged of bedrooms in our house. It sat directly off the family room and came with its own miniature walk-in closet. When I say miniature walk-in closet, I mean it was large enough for me to step inside, and with a little bit of contorting of my body, I was able to turn completely around. I like to believe that I had the original closet or wardrobe that led to the imaginary land of Narnia. In winter, with all of my Iowa winter wear hanging from the rod above, I would fold myself into the most private area of our house and shut the door. With the coats and other long underwear dangling around me, I would close my eyes, press my back against the wall, and imagine I was in a space capsule bound for another planet. This illusion was made complete as heat from the cast iron radiator on the other side of the wall would, well, radiate through the plaster and old lath boards. The temperature of the closet would rise continuously like a sauna, or as I like to pretend, my spaceship would heat up as it broke through the ionosphere and beyond Earth's pull on my life. Eventually, air bubbles from the boiler in the basement would make their way through the lines of the radiator and set off a series of loud, near-deafening pings and bring my fantasy to an end. These moments of childhood play were always sacred memories, as they had a way of reminding me that human life was dangerous, and everyone needs at least one safe place to go in times of chaos or uncertainty. The sacred character of that closet and the room connected to it likely contributed to the potentially sacrilegious dream I had about God needing to retire. I awoke one morning, just before turning 12 years old, and told my mother that I knew what I was destined to do with my life on earth. In my dream the night before, God had requested that I take on the task of keeping the people of this world safe from harm. However, that story is for another chapter. Even a dream of being God's mentee and successor could not save that room from the ongoing changes of our house and family. As I moved into my high school years, and yet another one of my siblings moved away, my parents decided that they needed one less bedroom. Though I began to suspect later in my life that perhaps the motivation for removing walls this time had to do with the new picture window my father had acquired from one of the wealthier neighbors a few blocks away. My father was often trading his labor for items for the house or his children, rather than actually getting paid in cash. This time, it was for an elderly woman named Mrs. Yoder. She lived down the hill in a neighborhood away from our Holt Street community. Her husband died suddenly, and soon thereafter, my father became her Mr. Fix-It guy. 
My father shared his skills with many throughout the neighborhood, but particularly he took care of the vulnerable, or as he often put it, the hidden people of our society. I think this trait of caring for people that others simply lose track of or stop noticing altogether is one of the best human traits that should be considered a superpower. I like to think that this was yet another reason I was placed with this particular Earth family. My father spent a whole weekend tearing out a window in Mrs. Yoder's house and replacing it with something newer, bigger, and more expensive. And for all of his work, he only asked for a glass of lemonade and the old window as payment. I remember him beaming with pride as he unloaded the window from his truck into our front yard. When two weekends later he finally finished installing it into the now larger family room wall, we all posed for a photograph with my mom's new Polaroid instant camera. As the camera spit out picture after picture, with each photograph developing right before our eyes, we all looked like we had conquered some mountain or graduated to the next level of life. I guess, in a way, we had. Our house on Holt Street now had one of those wealthy-looking big-picture windows, even if it was not the most recent addition. So, with sledgehammers in hand, we removed my bedroom wall to allow our living room to grow larger. As two small windows became one large window, my family's view of the world changed a little. I don't know if our social status changed all that much because of that huge pane of glass. But I do remember many nights sitting with my mother on the couch, looking through the new transparent opening at the night sky. Today, I cannot look at stars without remembering them the way they looked through that moment with my mother. I have to admit that when I drive by that old house on Holt Street with my now adult eyes, the window looks like it has become smaller and not all that important. However, when human beings revisit their childhood, most things look less life-changing. And perhaps to think otherwise would seem a bit childish, if you will. Like looking backwards through a telescope, these moments from our first few years of life can look smaller and less significant to the person we have become. Yet, to a storyteller who was convinced that he was from Mars at the time, that window and the larger family room it created helped me to begin to see a world beyond that little house on Holt Street. With the elimination of that room, my sleeping area was moved to the back side of the house, tucked in behind the washer and dryer. It was not quite a bedroom, but it was a little bit of an honor to be in the space that was once the long-lost private room of my oldest brother. The pillow on my bed always rested partly on the metal wall of the dryer, and with that provided a vibrating whirring sound that allowed me to sleep through the loudest noises coming from the other places in the house. To this day, I still need the sound of a fan or another humming instrument to help me sleep. Eventually, I too would move out of the house to go off to college and begin my wider exploration of the world. Yet during my last winter in that house on Holt Street, my parents had one more adjustment to make. This time, it was the act of turning a part of my bedroom, the floor, into a door. East Holt Street was a tiny sliver of a road, wedged in between the ancient river bottom of the Des Moines River and the buckling hills of an undeveloped forest. Our little street was only one block long and cut diagonally through the middle of nowhere. Because of this, the neighborhood was hidden from most of the world. For those who actually knew how to find it, 
there were three other more accessible roads that provided ample reason to avoid passing by our house on Holt Street. East Holt Street ran steeply uphill for its entire length, making access in the winter difficult, if not altogether treacherous. The inclining nature of the street created the need for our house to sit half-buried on the north side and left the entrance to the lower floor exposed to the air, giving the illusion from the outside that our house had more room than it did. This lower floor contained a very unfinished basement that sat directly underneath my parents' bedroom. This basement contained a large room with a dirt floor that on occasion served as a car repair shop for the family vehicles. A second smaller room set below my bedroom slash utility room and served as my father's fix-it workshop. Both of these dark and musty places became arenas for my father's mechanical miracles, which I will discuss in depth in another future chapter. At that moment, in the ongoing evolution of the house on Holt Street, was the perpetual battle with Iowa winters. When the house was built just after the Second World War, either the winters had been milder or the family that had first inhabited the space ran out of money to include an inside staircase to the basement. On more than one occasion in my early childhood, I would accompany my father on the long, cold walk around the outside of the house, down the back stairs, and through the bitter winter wind to get to his magical place underneath the house. He would say often, with chattering teeth, one day I will find a way to build an indoor staircase to the basement. That one day came during the last winter before I headed off to college, and the location of the staircase was in the middle of my bedroom floor. With little planning and even less real knowledge of where the support walls were, my father took a circular saw and cut a rectangular opening in the floor. In minutes, a hole appeared that would become the ugliest, life-transforming scar in our house. It was not pretty, and with the floor-slash-door open, it made a dangerous obstacle to avoid on late-night runs to the bathroom. I imagine that the new owners have repaired this breach in the back room, as it was such an unattractive spot in the house and likely did nothing to increase the sale price of the house. But I would do almost anything to look down through that hole in the floor and see my father in his workshop just one more time. I would love to believe that my father made that hole in the floor to make it easier for me to spend time with him. It was certainly true that because we did not have to brave the icy winds of winter to make our way to the garage, the whole family spent more time together, going up and down the stairs through that hole in the floor. But it seems more likely that the deeper purpose for the hole in the floor had begun almost four decades before, when my father fell in love with my mother for the first time. I say the first time my father fell in love with my mother, because I was taught that to have a healthy marriage, you need to fall in love with your spouse at least four times throughout your relationship together. We, as human beings, change over time, physically, emotionally, and in so many other ways. So much so, that we become almost a totally new person. Like our house on Holt Street, we change, and so do the people we care for along the way. I don't know if my parents needed to fall in love again, or if that was the real reason why my father put that door in the floor. However, what I did observe for the rest of that winter was my mother descending and my father ascending through the opening in the floor over and over. 
My mother was able to take coffee down to my father without going out into the winter cold. My father came up the stairs with more frequency to just sit and talk with the love of his life. Sometimes they would just sit, touch each other's hands, and say to one another, I love you, again. My whole life I have looked for meaning in the things that happened around me when I was a Martian child learning to be a human being. Being willing to make an ugly door to allow for love to find a way through seems like a good lesson for both Martians and humans. I learned that lesson so well that years later, when it was time to fall in love with my wife again, I, with complete reckless abandonment, cut a hole in the floor in our house to make a laundry chute. It was ugly too, but I am glad I did it. That house on Holt Street was just the beginning of the adventure of my life on Earth. I still walk around that house from time to time when I need to remember how it all began. I do so now only in the virtual space of my memories. My years growing up in a house that seemed to change and adapt to the chaotic development of my family helped form the solid foundation for all the other stories that follow in this book. Ironically, for as much as that house on Holt Street changed over the years, it is the one constant in my life and draws me home when I need to experience something familiar and unchanging. I know it was just a house with a couple of entry doors, a roof, and a few walls, but the fact that it was the first place I remember being in this world at all makes it, by default, the place that continues to help me be okay. Maybe in the telling of my story, others will remember their stories and find a way to be okay. Two.